remain in the sand with the people of a smokeless fire gem. Not just needy, totally needy, gotcha woman. Working through traditions of the diaspora. From the west side to the divine. Navigating through the end times for my people. Always got it right. Ancestral wisdom. Here where the spirit talks to us. Come on, won't you just dive real deep with me? I am so glad to be back. Welcome to Tay in the Water podcast, full of conversations around hoodoo, Islam, war, black gender, black queerness, the end of this world and coming of the next, indigenous African epistemologies and criminologies, and beyond. It's nearing the end of 2021, end of the year. It's been a year of some beautiful transformations, and yes, that includes some chaos, okay? But in the end, we're still coming out with some powerful outcomes. Some noteworthy events I would love to share with y'all include that over the summer, I traveled down south to make sure that I made intentional contact with land that my family on my father's side touched and also helped to cultivate, build on, raise their families on. I was on the radio in Atlanta and online on ATL Hits 92.3 as a collaboration with Afia and Color to talk about me providing prenatal spiritual security as a baby retriever and birth keeper, about being a conjure woman, and about the spirit of blackness, okay? Another thing is that Wangara has been going well, which is an event I host here in the city to both cook for and read people and have them get together and journal. I've also been having Waterway Wednesdays, which is another seasonal but monthly event you can join through Patreon to get 35 minutes uh, body divination or energy healing divination time over Zoom, which is a great option if you're unable to do a normal session through my website, especially, which is generally anywhere between about an hour and a half to three hours long. I've also been selling more art, this time with a focus on more digital art. So while my services and articles remain on taylorumarilittle.com and Patreon, I've moved most of my products to udt-spiritshop.com. This includes court of art pieces, oils, and more. Okay, we got more stuff coming. UDT, the spirit shop, it stands for Unveiled Divine Technology Spirit Shop. And these past few months, other than that, like I've also just been being held down by my friends and my loved ones in some of the best ways. I've been extremely grateful for them and the time we've been able to spend together out in Black Eden on the whole other side of the state, in the city, once again, as in Detroit, um, in the forest, and also just trying new things. And so now let me tell you some more about my trip down south because it's relevant to the themes of today, okay? So I got to meet some beautiful cousins who I had no idea that I'd meet like when I got there. And it was always so clear throughout the entire time like that our spirits were organizing it, that they were organizing this meeting together. Even like when I had showed up to North Carolina the day I had met them, two of them 
Um, two of them in particular, like we were all matching. Uh, we were wearing the same color and that was something we didn't even know was going to happen. And it was just so precious. And I don't even think I had noticed it until I saw the pictures we took that day after. And it was just so precious, like at all the times. And so this down south trip, I was originally in Atlanta for work, which is in Georgia. But of course, you know, went to other areas of the state as well. So we could be in the forest um, and just other spots, period. And then Alabama, right past Chattahoochee River. And it also drove to Anson County, North Carolina. And, you know, passing through South Carolina as well. And let me tell y'all something. The trees there, the trees there in North Carolina, they were so great. Like they felt so good energetically and like they were so content and like responsible to be there. Very much in their own element and chilling as well, like to some capacity. And the soil was so beautiful, the red dirt. I don't know why I ain't ever realized we have red dirt in North Carolina. I guess in my mind, like, you know, my up north self. I had only associated it with Georgia and some of Alabama because of like my earlier on travels. But I was just like so pleased and I got to Waitsboro and I saw them like beautiful red dirt hills just welcoming me. And so like, you know, as soon as I looked at it, as soon as I looked at that red dirt, I was like, you're coming home with me because, well, you know, knowing I had to pay for it, of course. But I said, you're coming home with me, girl, because this is this is nice. Uh, and I had got to go to quite a few cemeteries. One of my other cousins that I met that day basically took us on a whole cemetery tour. We was bouncing. We went to a couple different ones, um, you know, to see all the different littles, to see the different sellers, Ratliffs, Lomaxes, all the other last names affiliated with that side of my family. And I got so emotional inside and just feeling such relief seeing how well taken care of these cemeteries were. You know, you hear so much and see so much about the destruction of black cemeteries, black grave sites. And of course, we're not just, you know, having war waged on us during our physical lifetimes and in the spirit world, but also even when we're just in the ground. Um, our bodies after death are waged war upon too and desecrated or if not us, then our family, our ancestors, our friends. And, and these lands are just rummaged through and traumatized in order to get to our bodies. And in the end, don't nobody have a well or protected resting place. So, you know, that's something that's extremely serious um, and violent too, you know. And so to see the contrary, to come to my family's hometown for the first time in my adult life and see these cemeteries be so beautiful and so neat and so taken care of. They had like flowers at all of the sides, like don't nobody look left out. It just made me so emotional. And like I said, even the trees there felt really good because you know, all around the states, trees be feeling very mixed and feeling sometimes irritated, disrespected, stressed, tired of human bullshit, but in particular whiteness and anything in alignment with it. You know, not all trees, unfortunately, but like a lot of them do, like they do not be agreeing with the bullshit. And so, you know, makes sense. But Meanwhile, like these trees at the cemeteries, they was like, mm. <laughs> they was like, mm, this is our truth, girl. But this is this is where we at. We just be here. <laughs> and one thing that I love that I learned by myself while I was there is that 
I love me a good segregated cemetery. I really do. The ones we went to were definitely segregated and the churches were still pretty segregated too. And also, you know, okay, so of course the graveyards that would be next to them, of course they were also segregated. And so I said, mm, I love it here. I said, I love this. It was so fun. It felt so good there. Because, you know, I don't want no white people next to my loved ones. Like, why why, why my people can't have their space? You know, I don't want no white people next to my loved ones. Um, I really don't. Personally, I prefer for my ancestors to be socially distanced from white people when they're in the ground. And just in the spirit realm, too, but especially when they're in the ground. Um, extremely. And so I just really appreciated that. Because then you don't have to worry, you know, when you're walking around and you see the last names and you're like... Uh-oh. Are we kin? Or are they a sin? You know what I'm saying? Like, what's going on? You know, you don't have to wonder about that many of them questions. And so it's just much easier in a segregated cemetery. And it's much safer in a segregated cemetery. So I learned that I love that. And, you know, consciously, I didn't know that was something I would love. But shoot, it makes sense to me. So it just felt so... Um, it felt so held there. You know, it felt so held. It felt so good. Also... When I first got to North Carolina, that initial day, I got to read and collect records firsthand um, at Anson Historical Society. And so that was an experience on its own. Literally, the first time I stepped over the threshold, um, the man who works there, he's like, come on and sit down for you. I have some stuff for you to look at because we had talked over the phone just a little bit to discuss my travels and me coming there. And, well, he had already done some digging to help me with my research um, as it pertains to my paternal lineage. And so that whole weekend, I was just collecting different articles, really, birth certificates, death certificates, all these different indexes, local church meeting minutes. My head was in books that weekend, deep in them. And I also got to buy a book from one of the um, one of the churches, uh that like deceased relatives of mine had attended West Deep Creek and that carried the church's records since 1864. And so I got to buy that book while I was there too. Um, and the older cousins who I had met, they also spent a beautiful amount of time reciting the histories that they know about our families and also got to, to story tell about my great grandma and other relatives and other stories about they were talking about everybody seeing spirits and they would talk about it so casually and it was just super precious. And they had given their permission as well for me to record our conversation and meeting together. And so I got hours of audio footage for me to just hold on to and listen to. But yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit about that North Carolina trip because it was so special to me. And that was... That was earlier this summer, like July. And that was when I knew for sure I should put out this episode. But you know what? You know, the timing of things. I just don't be following it sometimes. And plus, I be stalling, y'all, like I really do. But I'd see all these different conversations and posts happening throughout these past couple months discussing genealogy and DNA-related websites and programs and exploring histories between Black people and trusting Western medical facilities as well as governments and high-paid organizations that want access to our bodies, really. And while I would see these posts and conversations, I would be like, mm, you know, damn. Like, once again, I just really need to finally sit down and make this episode. 
And so I am going to address these topics today. I tell everybody the same thing. The great thing about working with ancestors is that if you have questions, especially if it's literally about them, you can just ask. People have very rightful thoughts when it comes to the difficulties of trusting Western DNA systems and organizations with our information. We're already in this vulnerable place, oftentimes seeking either cultural connection or just extending our other blood connection in general, wanting to find more family out there. They capitalize on our vulnerabilities, on the anti-black theft against us and of us, and then they make us pay for what they stole. And what we pay for is oftentimes their guesses about what they stole too. But as everything, it's important to know that whatever technologies the West tries to ad- to advertise or push on us, just know that we come from smarter people. Whatever white people think they know, you know, know that we've been knew it and we knew it in another way, practiced it in another way, and understood it in the right way. Always understand that indigenous African groups that have maintained their pre-colonial technologies all across the continent and in the spirit realm are those with the answers, which is why we should ideally look to them and be open to them first when engaging in many in any new topics so that we become led with a solid foundation. And when it comes to this particular area, you can definitely track your ancestors or trace them without the use of Western DNA technology. And I know that hoodoos, for example, do it all the time. Oftentimes our ancestors will just reveal themselves to us when they find themselves ready, when they find us ready to know. And also like, you know, if it's not easy for them to communicate it to you, they gonna find people who it is easier to share to, especially historians, um, to be able to pass on that information to you. Those who recognize their languages or who recognize their ethnic groups, tribal markings, regions that they come from, lands that they've touched, waters that they're nearby. So I always try to bring that up when people are talking about the ancestry DNA tests as if that's the only way to go. I mean, you know, plus you want to work with your ancestors anyway. Um, but this definitely needs to be considered a legitimate form of research and technology to understand who you are as a person, understanding more about your family's roots and all of that, you know, etc. Plus, Western forms be getting that shit wrong or off anyway because, you know, the countries they be talking about usually didn't even technically exist like less than 100 years ago. Um, you know, they don't discuss it properly. And people say this all the time, but, you know, they just don't discuss it properly. Like... Girl, what are you talking about? Like, you created those borders and now you're trying to say I'm from there and yet my people are thousands and thousands of years old. Just say you're playing a guessing game and call it. And some some companies, they are honest. Like, girl, this is, a, this is an estimate. This is a estimate, okay? At best. But, you know, other companies just be lying. Niggas be lying. So, just keep that in mind. But, yes. Anyway, you can definitely find out where your people are from. I'm really talking about just asking them to show themselves in particular ways like that. You know, once again, you you really do be having to meet them halfway. It can't just lean into like you giving up and being like, oh, they're not showing me like they're not showing me who they are. Well, what are you studying? My questions would be, what are you studying? What are you exploring? Not that you need to be in any or everything. But knowledge-wise, what are you accumulating and where and what are you feeling drawn to or what have you felt drawn to in the past and do you see any patterns? And where you felt drawn to, was it because of ancestral connection or was it because of anti-blackness? What are the possibilities that could exist for you? 
And I'm starting off with specifically trying to remind you all that you can just ask, but you can also just name to your spirits that you are now open to knowing the details of the ethnic backgrounds of your people and which lands and cultures y'all continue from the continent and how they manifested on this land. My personal preference as a diviner is for ancestors or spirits in general to communicate it organically rather than it being like, you know, a little more forced. When I work on people in body divinations or energy healing divinations, that's work that lasts a long time. The session itself, once again, being like an hour and a half to three hours tops. And that's one of the most common areas of my work that people's ancestors like to bring up their information, their cultural information, you know, unsolicited or at least by me. Um, and in those moments when the client and I are preparing to begin, we never, or at least I don't, or the clients don't be saying this out loud, we don't ever intentionally ask for the ancestors or other spirits of the client to state where they're from ethnically. It's always an organic moment where they decide to reveal themselves, especially also if that'll make it easier for them to share about the pre-colonial traditions or respective lineage esoteric spirit technologies that they are trying to lead you into. So, and sometimes if I already do feel that they're continental, I might also just ask right there and then, but it's really only when them revealing themselves um, in that way is already like on the border of the tongue it's, or um, on the border of happening, you know? I just give them the space that they need. And I think about this all the time. Like this is why working with experienced diviners can be so important. Diviners need to know how to listen. And if you don't know how to listen, then why would they tell you for real? Why would they tell you? Um, and this is a big reason of why many diviners may end up being called to be historians, at least on some level. Studying across cultures, their histories, their languages, it paves the way so that it becomes easier for the spirits and beings from areas maybe we aren't as familiar with to talk and to share what they need to and to give you more information about who you are. And my favorite description that I love to share with others so that they understand this, and if you like this example, make sure you credit me, goddammit. Um, my favorite imagery is if you picture a field of like tall grass, like wild tall grass towards the beginning of the woods or maybe an open forest or so. There's a couple trees in sight or on either side of these grasses, but there's definitely still some space to not be blocked by the trees and just to go deeper into that area if you really wanted to. To make it, <clears throat> excuse me, to make it easier or also potentially safer, you have your machete, your machete, and you know that in order to go back and forth between where the wild grass leads to and where you're coming from, you have to trim it down just as much as you need like to forge away. And you don't cut the wild grass all the way from the bottom, but instead, every time you're about to pass through, you cut it just a little bit lower. You know, you just cut it just a little bit lower till eventually it is much closer to the ground. Kind of like mowing the grass, but just this path for you to be able to walk through <clears throat> with your machete. And so now it becomes easier, you know, to walk through. Your path is much more forged and you've been maintaining it like that too. And on the other side of that, that wild grass where there's many more trees, greenery, things that you have no idea is being held in its center, that's where your spirits lie. That pathway in those wild grasses that you've been carving, that's you making it easier for you to receive their technologies and hence easier for them to pass it on to you. 
When you put in effort to build your knowledge base, you study and familiarize yourself with vocabularies of many Black Indigenous nations, of stories, histories, types of artifacts, religious traditions, facts, foods, and everything else, this is what helps you to forge your path. And so then the barriers that might have made it much harder for your spirits to pass their info, those are now down or at least lowered. It becomes easier for you to receive it and even discern between their info and the data of other cultures. It becomes easier for you to discern. So let you forge your way for your people. Pave way for them to introduce themselves. Be open to it, but you got to meet them halfway too. It's so much easier when you make effort, which is you studying among other things. You'd be surprised as to how creative spirits will get to share information and help you forge these pathways. I know my spirits work through video games, picking what TV shows I watch, movies, picking what types of books I read and at what times of my life do I read them. My spirits love working through media. And so and so that way, the forms of media, they'll highlight certain things that I otherwise wouldn't have known or paid attention to. And then once I know my spirits and also creatures, can tell me about how they relate to the thing or how they don't. But either way, it paves way for conversation to at least begin or happen. So the goal is to let your people tell you about themselves and also help them tell you about themselves. This is also connected to part of what I teach in my work with baby spirits and their parents, that we have to give them room to introduce themselves to us, which we know that they can do before they're even conceived. We just have to train ourselves to listen the right way and also create safer containers to do that. We can think back to episode 13 when J.T. Perry, um, in that excerpt from Sabon Fusome is the spirit of intimacy. We have that example of the Dagada tradition of that pregnant person entering a, a ceremony before the village council of elders in order to let their baby mount them all the way so that they, they can then inquire and ask the baby about who they are, why they're coming back, and what the elders and community can do to ease their journey. And our time with our ancestors ain't gotta be directly like that per se, where possession needs to be done or induced in order to get every single answer, but really taking initiative and creating a safe container and space to receive that information, that is what's crucial. Also, I just wanted to say, anybody who says that you can't identify the lineages or ethnics as cultural backgrounds of ancestors, they are a lie. Or they ain't the right diviner for you, or maybe they ain't even the right tradition that you need to be working with in order to get certain answers like that. Or they ain't got the skills, to be honest. And that's okay. But I just wanted to um, let you hear it from me. Because I've definitely heard some people say that before, and they just don't be knowing what they're talking about. And, you know, it'd be like that. But if you don't know what you're talking about, then you could just be quiet. So, just wanted you to hear from me that we can always know. We can always know things, especially when it comes to our own people, okay? So, one recommendation I would also like to give is to make sure that you are absolutely comfortable with being an African-American person and having our own distinct culture as well. Before you start finding out or like identifying more, um, you know, about your continental ancestry and, you know, and those continental spirits that you have, I would say, I would say any of us who are black and descendants of enslaved Africans, however, we do know that FMs, African-Americans tend to get labeled the most as ones who have no culture, uh, which is a false narrative that needs to be rejected. 
But it's also a very real thing that many of us still internalize, that we either have no culture, have lost all cultural memory, or both. People love to say, including ourselves, you know, people love to say that we lost identities to slavery, which not to diminish the losses that we have suffered since the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade, nor like the validity of our collective and individual feelings, but we need to change our language in these conversations because what is more helpful and also accurate to say is that we do have some identities and roles that have been paused or thrown under hidden and embedded into something else that's not always inherently physical to the eye and for anything that was truly lost in some capacity or even fully you know whether it's um you know in the material realm we lost it or we lost it fully in the western world one fair way it could be phrased is that okay consciously we lost it or consciously you know lost some of it if we have to say that at all but to just full out say like oh we lost it is just rarely true instead it became harder to consciously find it again and identify with it again or consciously find some or many of the terms that we used for that. But we really did not lose these identities. Congo babies still look like and act like Congo babies and do the same Congo traditions just on this land and it might look different, be called a slightly different name, might even be blended with, you know, tradition from another indigenous black culture, but also might not be, you know what I'm saying? Fulani babies slash Fula uh, diasporans do the same and so forth. It just look different, you know, but if you know what to look for and you know our people, then you're going to easily find it. You're going to easily find those connections. There was an incident at an Advocates for Youth conference where we were at a workshop hosted by the DC herbalist Karen L. Culpepper, who I adore. And there was a member who at the very end of this beautiful workshop, they were crying and they were grieving really because she felt so much loss as a Black American person, describing that she felt clipped from her roots. And this workshop was, you know, bringing all of this up for her. And it's unfair and it's incredibly violent the ways that we've had to grieve and the reasons of why we've had to grieve. But our truth is also that we can know and that we can develop those roots if they have been lost and we can rediscover those roots and realize turns out many of them were never gone this whole time. And I call it being too tied. You know that we exist in unique positions where we are tied to both and even multiple lands at once with so much coded in our bodies and in our spirits, so much embedded in them. We are two-tied, three-tied, four-tied even, and just more. But so I say all this to say that before beginning or strengthening the search to track and trace more of your continental ancestry, I would say it's ideal to first make sure that at least you already feel pretty grounded in what you do have and the form that it has taken. We do want to make sure that we don't exoticize or leverage our continental ancestors over the ancestors who were born on present day U.S. land. Let's revisit this overall conversation of utilizing Western technology to trace your genealogy. A common method that has grown enormously over the last decade is using websites like Ancestry.com. Now, Ancestry.com offers DNA tests that are marketed as being able to find your genetic relatives and find out or confirm who your ancestors are, which is fine. 
or is what it is. But when you're black and a descendant of enslaved peoples in the Americas, it becomes clear that sites like Ancestry.com were not made for us and they do not keep us in mind. For one, the relation between slave masters and our ancestors. Ancestry.com does not include kidnappers or enslavers in its categories, okay? Ancestry.com does not hold space for that kind of evil relation despite the fact that they happened. And this makes family researching on such a widely used platform extremely difficult and also dishonest. I'll tell you a story about the Greenwoods. In November of 2018, one morning I had been looking at records on Ancestry.com since I do that when I can and I also have the energy. Every time I also will pretty often start from a random place of the tree and then simply just work from there. Now I was and still am very fortunate for how big my family tree records have been able to expand. There was a point in 2018 for a while actually where I had taken the time to write out all of my ancestors names of those I had not only personally known but also the names I had been able to add as well as ones found by this non-black genealogist that I had do some free work for me at one point. So I had written all these names out the years of their births and the years of death if I knew them and I would put them right on my ancestors altar. But this day that I had gotten up and started researching there was this one person on there that I was looking at logged on my tree. But I had noticed that for some reason, I was like, this male ancestor has so many hints and potential records showing up next to their name. So I'm so curious because I never see the numbers go that high for what the site recommends me to, you know, look at for my family members. So I was like, hmm, let me check. Let me check how we're related again, because this was a line that I hadn't done much work for at the time the green woods and so there were plenty things that I could have you know not known or even overlooked in the breeze of things so I looked and I then saw he was listed as my fourth great-grandfather and so I was intrigued because you know that's such a long time ago of course and then I saw he was white and it caught me all the way off guard so I go to look at his wife too who's also a part of my tree and he was listed, she was listed, excuse me, as the mother of my third great-grandfather. And I saw that she was white. So I finally looked back at the census records because this just felt to be too unknown territory. I said, I don't know nothing about this. I don't know nothing about this. And I'm damn near about to reject it, but let me keep on, um, you know, looking at it, seeing what's going on. So I finally get to these records and I see that the two great-grandfathers who were automatically listed under these white villains as their sons on this tree, once I accepted the records, that they were actually listed as their servants on paper. One of the two men listed, which I later confirmed, was one blood ancestor of mine with the other being close like a brother. One of the two young men listed had been in that house since at least seven years old. The first record I looked at showed that he was 19 working for them in 1880. And so I had to take a step back from it um, for a moment. And when I was able to come back to it, I knew that I needed to divine on it for deeper answers. Especially because I realized that, you know, those two Greenwood names were names I had also written onto that piece of paper that was on my ancestral altar. 
Of course, I would know better now, but back then my spirits explicitly instructed me not to reach out to those beings and there was this feeling of stillness in that conversation. Stillness and just this heaviness that I hadn't recounted before in previous conversations with them. And just to make sure I clearly understood, you know, I asked if it was because they had brought them a lot of harm. I said, do you trust their spirits? Like these spirits, these two Greenwood spirits? They said, no. I said, should I take them off the list of ancestors? They gave such a strong yes. And I apologized to them for the fact that those things were on there because that must have been really painful for them. And they definitely must have been, you know, had been waiting to lead me to see that that day, that morning, so that I could finally take it off for them. This was also the conversation when I had, you know, found out about Jesse and Peter Greenwood, that they weren't blood brothers, that they just both had the same last name. Those two people that I spoke about, the two young men who were listed as working for them in 1880. The moment that had occurred where I realized this whole time there were slave owners added to my family tree without my knowing, and that I had also brought these evil names, James and Kessio or Akezia Greenwood onto my ancestors' altar, merged into all of these other findings that I'd had on there at that time. Here I was talking to my spirits and I just felt so guilty for having put my spirits through that, you know, I just felt so guilty. It wasn't my fault, but that didn't take away from how I was feeling. While also feeling their grief and sadness as well, as they ushered me to hurry up and remove their names off this list, you know, because it has it had been causing more harm than not. You do not want to venerate the wrong people, and you surely don't want to force away any barriers between your spirits and white spirits, knowing damn well that white supremacy festers in the spirit realm as well, affecting us all. And I bring forth this story because on family researching and record-keeping websites such as Ancestry.com, the only options you can really list people under are father, mother, spouse, child, sister, or brother. There was and is no option for slave master. And in my case, once I held onto that record in the program, that's why the system automatically just saved it and added them as blood relatives to the line. So I missed it until that day. Black people utilizing these websites have to create that label ourselves and just write it in the note somewhere. That type of relation. Tucked away, maybe even buried in our memory, those websites do not think about us. Now, I do want to get into another limitation of programs like AfricanAncestry.com, where they do seem more trustworthy than ones like the genealogy systems and programs like, again, Ancestry.com, Bothell23andMe, and the, and the like. Despite the larger price difference, if I were to recommend any DNA ancestry programs like these, particularly for those who are worried about your data being stolen, I would likely recommend AfricanAncestry.com. Not just because they seem like they care a bit more and have some extra morals, maybe, but also because, at least from what I know, they don't just tell you, bitch, you got this amount of hunter-gathering you. <laughs> 
or West Africa on your ancestry DNA results, they specifically at least aim to connect your DNA to specific ethnic groups of origin with their indigenous African DNA samples being listed as over 30,000 samples. So they won't just bullshit it in the same way that Ancestry.com might. African Ancestry.com, it can be great, but even then the results you get from there are not always going to match up to the types of things that you've inherited from, you know, which part of your lineage, like for example, which parts to focus on. And we have differences in how we understand that information between Western genealogy sciences and the black spirit version of that. The matter is inheritance and how it was stowed in order for you to be able to inherit it. So I meet people all the time in my line of work where even though you might think that your ancestry will show up as so much West African and maybe Central African heritages, it'll still be whole ass East African spirits showing up for you the most, trying to get you to hurry up and let them pass on their stuff to you because turns out that was a lineage that, you know, they had to or you had to or some non-human spirits will show up, some non-human creatures, etc. Um, or say like, the client might be directly from the continent, but the ancestors who have claimed this child the most and are guarding them the most, teaching them, their ancestors that they didn't even know they had, um, who made it to this land during the slave trade and continued their people's traditions and maybe alongside some others, but in a newer form on U.S. land. So, you know, talking about like continental, uh, continental people who have hoodoos, you know, ancestors who survived on this land. Things like that happen all the time. My point is that Western science has genetic markers that they'll use and reference so that they can connect you to other groups across the world, but we also have our systems of that. There are certain groups of spirits and ancestors that will claim you, and certain groups, uh, you know, won't, even if they do run in your blood. And it ain't always something that's personal, but it is indicative of which spirits are going to be around you primarily, overseeing which destiny and when, and also which spirit technologies you should be more inclined to work with and also receive inheritances through. Now, DNA tests, like we know them, they don't always offer us the fuller picture of what's going on for us spiritually and which spirits have begun to claim us the most in this lifetime or at this particular stage of our life. Like, for example, if you say if you're say if you're full black, which hopefully you are um, African-American specifically or a Caribbean and got heritages from like four or five different ethnic groups with some of those percentages dominating way more than others, you know. Um, it might show up that you only got like, let's say like 18 or 20% of this one group, even less than that. But the ancestors who made it through, who did manage to claim you in that way, they might have a way bigger role in your life and in your current destiny and in your spiritual practice than you think, even though that might not be the group that on paper is dominating you like your, your blood like that. Um, and so this reminds me of like how, mm, it, it reminds me of like how like we'll share ancestry technically, like families can share ancestry technically, but it won't always be passed on the same way. And like how we perceive that matters too. And like that shows up spiritually. So like, this is an example that I'll, I'll also provide. When my mama and I would talk about her Wolof ancestors and her spirits, she used to always pause and ask me like, why do you always say my ancestors? Ain't they yours too? When technically like the answer is yes. And that might even show up on record in Western DNA testing. 
but they're not the most prominent ones that oversee me. And so I usually don't feel them or interact with them nearly as much. Those are mainly my mama and her side of the family's ancestors to my knowledge. And so I'll kind of interact with them through her in a way sometimes almost in a similar capacity to how I might interact with a close friend of mine's ancestors with that type of level of distance and respect. But still knowing that, you know, if I did need something, though, I could just ask and that I'm okay there, you know. But even then themselves, at one point, they had made it a point to have me adjust my language and say, they were like, they were like, we, we're not your spirits. But you can say we're your people, though. You can say we're your people if somebody asks, but we're, we're not your spirits. Um, and so also, I did want to emphasize that some ethnic groups or ancestors or lineages, including creaturehood lineages, as my spirits and I call them, will reveal themselves at a way later date or time of your life because now you have new destinies to fulfill, say at 30 or 40 or 50 or so. And that one, that destiny matches best with, you know, a different group. And so now they can help you the most. We have different things like that all the time where they'll kind of like, certain groups might like tap out or just like switch with one another um, and, you know, just become more prominent, even though, even if they weren't like as prominent on around you like back in the day. Um, when you had this other destiny to fulfill. So things just work different for us. Um, and so I just want you to keep that in mind. Lastly, before we go on a break, um, I know that I mentioned my mama's Wolof people and her ancestors. And, you know, so I can actually use this opportunity to give you even more ideas and examples for how ancestors will tell you if you just ask and express wonder about them or even don't, you know. Because sometimes they just be want to talk. So that's okay. So let me tell you a little bit about how we found out my mama was a well-off baby. Okay. So I was in California for work. And I was assisting a client for their baby. And was also staying with them in their home to perform what I needed to do. And prior to my departure to California, I had had this recent conversation with my mom. Where we were just talking. We were on the topic of her continental ancestry. And I was like, huh. Yeah, I don't know much about where else your people are from, aside from this one particular continental ethnic group that we already know about. And one of those days when I was in California, we were sitting at a table with their roommates, with uh, my client's roommates, their housemates, excuse me. And, you know, we were just minding our business um, and like having a little side conversation or what have you. And the other housemates were, you know, around the table, stuff like that, doing their own thing too. And all of a sudden, one of them, mind you, who is not black, um, this guy, one of the housemates, he's like, um, he all of a sudden just says Wolof out loud. And we just stopped that conversation. And we were like, what? <laughs> we were like, what? What'd you say? And then he says it again. And, you know, at this point, we know... We knew this previously, but it became just more prominent, like, throughout the stay. That, like, mm, he he is kind of just, he just hears from spirits all the time. And he don't be knowing what to do with the information or what have you. Um, but anyway, spirits around oftentimes just be using them as a little airway. I'll just label it as that. But so, anyway, um, so I was, uh, I told them, you know, I was like, oh. Like, that might be for me. Um, but I'm not sure. But it might be for me. It feels like it is. 
And um, and so then we end up divining on it. Um, and we're like, oh, yeah, turns out they were just, uh, our spirits was just, me and my mom's spirits specifically, they were just answering the question. Um, or my mom's spirits. She was just answering the question um, about where some more of her people were from. And so, you know, spirits will just use anybody and everybody who they deem safe to do that from anyway, or do that through anyway, to get certain answers across. And so, you know, I was halfway across the country. I was all the way across the country and they didn't care. They don't mean nothing. You know, they still found a way to get the answer out because they wanted it to be known. We had that conversation for a reason and they was like, well, let's answer it then since you're talking about it. So that was actually how we found out about that Wolof ancestry. Um, and then we just kept learning more since then. Um, I found out about ancestries through, again, just minding my business, literally being in the bathroom and looking at the mirror on my way out and suddenly my face ain't my face. And then suddenly I know exactly who it is, how we're connected, the history of this connection, all these things. Another time in the midst of preparing for an important ceremony, I was, I was doing something. I was, I think I was, I don't know, it was some type of planning that I was doing. And I, you know, I was just very open to my spirits to get, you know, these preparation instructions. And they were like, this one group of spirits, they were like, oh yeah, ask your, uh, serer, your serer spirits. Um, and I was like, hmm, what are you, what are you talking about? And I didn't even know that I had some, uh, Sered people from Senegal. I didn't know they existed either. And so, you know, the conclusion is you will know when you need to know, because sometimes it be your blood, but it ain't even your business. And that's just how it is. That's just how it be. Moving on, as you can guess, I love working with people as they find out more about, uh, you know, the details of their spirit compositions and also their families. Although my diviner work is investigatory work all the way, I also formally offered, um, you know, like other research services too. Many of my clients over the years end up getting to share the beautiful experience of having their ancestors either introduce or confirm the lands and people that they belong to. Um, but then it's a very real moment when you find that out and you don't really know what to do with that or you don't really know what to do next even with that information and so in september i decided to give much more space to those who want help with more research and findings when it comes to you know learning more about their continental ancestry and other surrounding inherited groups and so tay's realm of research exists as a branch of unveiled divine technologies um, and so I work with spirits to scan documents for accuracies and inaccuracies and help narrow down stolen and white slash academic gate kept information that's relevant to you and your peoples. But it's specifically verified by your people that, you know, they wanted you to have this, you know, insert document. Um, so I utilize my own libraries and work with my client spirits to essentially search for information and find research that I didn't already have to help provide the genealogical and cultural support that you deserve, okay? And so if you ever get to that point, just reach out and you can learn more at tayloramarilittle.com. We'll be back after the break. Bitch, I'm on the move. No staples in my shoes. I keep it cool. Don't pack a two, but bitch, don't play me like a fool. I said I'm on the move. No staples in my shoes. I keep it cool. Don't pack no two, but bitch, don't play me like a fool. Cause no bitch move. I said I'm on the move. Say love. 
Zamuhiri, welcome back. You've heard me speak on facets of understanding more around our continental ancestries, particularly as diasporan peoples. Now I want to make sure that you hear this at least one point in your life. Learn your indigenous languages. If you know me, you know that I'm always telling people this and trying to get people into their people's languages. Maybe it's the Mercury in me, I don't know. But languages hold so much of the culture, AKA the spirit of the people. Knowing at least some of the home languages of the people we're talking to or trying to talk to, it just helps us get much sharper images, feelings, and also the ideas of the frameworks that those people are coming from. Languages hold entire worlds, and we know this. In the very beginning of African Cosmology of the Bantu Congo by Dr. Fukiao Bunzeki, or Bunzeki Fukiao, because I know sometimes it gets written as either ways, pages 9 to 10, they write, Africans, including those of African descent, must love the study of their languages if they wish to talk honestly about themselves and about what they are, for all system codes of their society are coded, tied, in these languages. These languages should be studied and used as languages of instruction in order to prove their scientific capacity. To study language is the most important process of learning the art of coding and decoding social systems of human society in the world. Learning is an accumulative process of coding and decoding, decoding cultures. Therefore, it is necessary to study the language that expresses those cultures in order to understand the opposite side of that art, how to untie such decode. Only one who understands the codes of their social and conceptual systems can decode them for the outside world. How can someone be a true Africanist if they are not able to speak a single African language? How could they represent a system they dare not truly taste and feel? And then the author writes about how this can lead to scholars promoting the wrong ideas as they theorize about the cultures that they may be studying if they don't know the languages themselves or aren't familiar with them. They say that, moreover, those ideas are badly understood since they were harvested in a hurry. So I'm going to end the quoting there. Once you find out more of your continental blood and are working with your ancestors, Learn their languages the best that you can so that it becomes easier, again, easier for them to pass on what is needed. We can even go back to utilizing that imagery I provided uh, earlier on with the machete and that tall grass out in the wild. This is definitely one of those methods that's going to keep that pathway cut, okay? It's going to keep that passageway cut, learning the languages of your peoples once you know who they are or have an idea. And also... Another aspect to this, me saying something, and people know if they follow me online, I've said this. So, But me saying something in English is going to move with a different level of push than me saying something in Fufude, for example, or Fulani language. Depending on what I'm trying to do, right? It's great to do what we can, but even greater to commit to those languages with some grit because we know words hold power. But the question is, which language are we going to use in that process? And so the levels to that include you know, um, how me speaking or praying and say like African-American vernacular English is going to move differently and likely better than me just trying to do a working utilizing standard American English. Because the greater your ancestors can respond to one technology and the blacker that technology is, okay, the more you want to use it ideally, because that's going to help shape the impact and help um, 
also honestly like incorporate like just how many spirits and just how many creatures that are aligned to blackness can help add to the power of what you're trying to do. When I talk about this, it now also reminds me of a clip from the movie Sankofa, which should currently still be on Netflix. Um, I think it was around like the 27 minute mark. Um, I ended up watching this movie because of the Hoodoo Heritage Month calendar, the version that was curated by the Freedom Doctor, Roman B. Johnson, PhD. Um, I ended up watching this movie a couple months ago and this clip was the story of the woman, the character Nunu, who was a continental born Akan enslaved woman, meaning she herself was born in Africa, present day Ghana specifically and taken. Um, and it was narrated how after all the prayers of the other enslaved people on the field, it took Nunu and her mother tongue, her tongue from the motherland to kill a white man dead. And that was really powerful to me. Um, and I feel like that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about right now in terms of there's a lot of power. Not that you can't do shit with English, but the deeper you get to becoming closer in proximity to the spirit of blackness, the better it's gonna move. And that's all period. Now, I know I gave some examples throughout this entire episode so far in terms of different ways that our ancestors um you know can essentially could like pass on information um you know more about themselves or how we can gather that information how we can ask them all these different things like that um but i also want to i figured i would share um some examples of how i have been able to learn you know certain pieces of our languages pieces of my particular lineages languages um in case it, it's helpful to you too um because you might be doing this too and you just don't be realizing it okay so let me see so my ancestors and then other spirits too um you know lending or teaching me words in different languages i think i think a very easy way for them to teach me is tends to be through dreams that I want to say that that's the most common way that, but I don't think that's true. But um, but it is an easy way for me to receive vocabulary terms. Um, you know, I get vocab words all the time. Sometimes from my ancestors, sometimes from spirits of birth work clients or related spirits who saw something I was working on and they wanted to maybe contribute to my research with their own cultural information. That was just something that happened recently, so that's why it's fresh in my memory. Um, with some really generous and sharp Eritrean spirits. But it just, it, it does make a huge difference when you actually do put in the effort to learn. It helps them teach you for sure. Um, but that's, so, that's one way, like through dreams, um, being able to receive that information. But then also, there's sometimes, um, this is also common, where I'll just be hearing stuff and I'll just be saying it out loud. Or even be repeating or singing something and like I'll be repeating or singing something and I don't realize that I'm I've been doing that for like a solid five minutes until I do. Um, and I'll try to once I do realize that's what I've been doing, I'll try to write those out or even put it into Google Translate sometimes if I can also tell the region it's from and narrow down um, what languages it might be related to, even if it's not that particular language itself. Um, and I know in the past in those contexts, it's been me 
overhearing like when that happens it's been me overhearing conversations from some spirits that was around like in my kitchen um but sometimes it is actually for me uh, sometimes it's for friends I ask my friends what certain words mean in the middle of us talking all the time because it's usually just our ancestors or their ancestors dropping a word into my head and contributing by giving language to whatever it is that they are talking about like that their descendant is talking about um, and these are also ways that even help me learn more English vocabulary as well, or their versions of English, because they will also just create their own words and teach me the meanings that they gave them, which mind you, I thoroughly enjoy. But anyway, um, let me see another thing. This is an example of a, um, receiving it through a dream as well. Probably, I think this was a couple months after... She had passed at this point, but my great grandmother, um, who's from down south, she's from Alabama, gang gang. Anyway, she came by and she, um, she came by a couple months after, you know, her funeral and stuff. And she was just talking about how she was in the spirit realm learning fufu day. And, um, I was like, so I was like kind of shocked when I woke up cause I said, I didn't even know. We had Fulani on that side either. I thought it was just on my father's side. Um, but anyway, she said she was in the spirit realm. Um, talk, uh, she was learning about Fufu Day. Um, or not learning about it, but learning Fufu Day, the language itself. And she was in my dreams and she was teaching me um, like some words that I didn't even know myself. Um, and so that was a really beautiful moment because, you know, I was not only able to learn... Um, you know, this word, like, from my spirits, but specifically a very, very recent one, who was learning Fufu Day herself. It was just such a cute moment. It was such a cute moment. Um, let me see. I also wanted to add, too, that I very recently just got a good reminder of how the simple thing of going to sleep on time and or early and without too much media can really help carve so much more space um for your spirits to come through for more dreaming sessions because I have really forgotten that after a while and lost sight of some of my routines mind you um but a friend had reminded me of this very recently and that shit has been so good so I just wanted to pass that on to you all and I hope that you are able to become specifically receptive to these languages that I I just know. I just know your spirits are trying to pass them on. That's why I'll be that's why I'll be telling y'all all the time. That's why I'll be telling y'all. So please be receptive to it. Thank you so much. Finally, if this applies to you, just remember you are not alone when it comes to having to essentially resurrect or even just reconnect to lost or long lost lineages. Know that you are not alone in that and that there are always going to be ways around that help us to navigate this war and to reconnect us to our peoples. And there are plenty of alliances that we can always be making with those who are in alignment to blackness to help us get there, make it, survive it up until those points, you know. And in case it wasn't clear from this entire episode, I want to affirm right now that we deserve to have options in how we learn. We do not always have to engage in the most stressful, oppressive, white bread or white leaning situations in order to get the information that we need and surely not by ourselves. 
if I were to join a mainstream or specifically mainstream in the Western world or in the Americas, ATR, just because I know that there's a select few elements embedded into that, um, you know, from a particular ethnic group that I have, like, for example, if I approach Vodun, because I know that they were able to preserve some specific Fulbe or Fulani customs and traditions among their other facets, I would have to walk in it with the mindset of, okay, I have to go into it uh, to prioritize learning about those Fulani keys, those Fulani things that became held in this tradition. Anything else would be extra. It's going to be things that I chose as opposed to actual inheritances like that I've gotten from my people. Like after that, anything aside from that, I'm literally just seeking adoption basically, which is fine. But also you got to have that type of discernment. And the line of that though, like when thinking of, well, why not do that though? You know, sometimes you really just have to be open. It's better to just be open and just start off without even getting into all of that. You can just let the messages come into a, sle- a clean slate um, and not have to do all of that discernment or filtering rather. I'll give you a couple examples of what I mean in case it sounds confusing. Those that are familiar with my business know that among among being a diviner or other titles, one of the other roles that I hold is being a baby retriever and birth keeper who specifically provides prenatal spiritual security for spirits of unborn babies. And of course, there can be a lot of questions around that since it's an esoteric field and also often even differs from traditional granny midwives or as I call our hoodoo midwives. There are occasionally moments where I do sit and wonder like, hmm, like even though I already have these licenses to do the work that I do, the trainings and resources, alliances that I need for it. Is it also necessary for me to do like a fertility doula training or like something like that or a birth doula or postpartum doula, any of those things, which I am not, should I join those types of courses so that I can have more of the common knowledge that they'll teach in Western medicine and things so that I have more common ground with maybe other birth workers. But each time, I never feel fully called to do those and of course never pressured by my spirits to do so and so I don't press it any further even though I do do fertility based work and prenatal based work too. It's because I know that if I do do those classes not that they won't be helpful at all but that I'll already be learning I'll already be learning something that's not necessarily of my people. And some of it might be in the direction of what my people will teach or have taught about that same topic. But I would also have to do so much time disentangling. Like, okay, what do I need to keep? What are they trying to get at? Versus what my spirits actually think about it. Um, And that's so much work, honestly. Or it would be, rather, because you have to do this, all of this unlearning and learning when you could just be learning from a clean slate. This was also my experience in criminology. Um now that I'm thinking about it too, because I wasn't going to talk about that at first. But um, but that was also my experience with being in the field of criminology when I was, um, you know, attending a university um, where, you know, we didn't give a fuck about those teachers, you know, those professors, things like that, being in the class itself. Um, the coursework was okay. Um, but criminology itself has been a part of my life since so early I'm thinking sixth grade like maybe even earlier than that um 
and by that word too, by that specific terminology of criminology. Um, and when I got to college, at some point, my spirits, they, they were like, honestly, you could drop out if you really wanted to, like we support you in that. We by no means like, you know, require you to stay. Um, and the reason being, well, one of the reasons being because, um, I just needed to be able to like utilize the, um, let the databases, the resources hear about like basically pave ways once again, pave way so that I could know about some criminology concepts that overlapped with what my spirits also teach. Um, and I also needed the designated time and space to just be focusing on that topic in general so that I could focus on what my spirits wanted me to learn about that topic, not necessarily what the professors themselves wanted me to learn about that topic. So all the while, while I would be doing that coursework, they would be, it's like basically they would be kind of like erasing stuff in my head that I would learn during class and they would just add their own stuff in. Um, and so I'm extremely grateful for that. But that's what I mean when I'm talking about this process of having to unlearn and learn when you could just be learning from a clean slate. Like you could also just create that space like, you know, on your own uh, or like with the community, like with other people who are maybe trying to do the same thing as you. Um, you know, you don't always have to join these traditions or join these certain anythings, like even if they do hold a couple or more keys or traditions of your people. The desire to do so is so valid. It's extremely valid. But also, I just always want people to know that there are at least other options. Like, for example, you can learn about them though through those traditions, but you don't always have to get that deep in order to access it. Maybe sometimes you might, depending on just what's going on or being required for you to access that information and where those keys are. That's where I want to emphasize. But in those cases, you still need to prioritize your people and all of that and acknowledge that just because that tradition holds your stuff after years and years of your people maybe being unfortunately like um, killed off or thrown under, that doesn't necessarily mean that that tradition is the gateway to your destiny or it's the holder of your destiny. It's nine times out of 10 just like, just means like, okay, get in, get out. Um, but emphasis on the get out so that you can just go in and leave with your stuff, you know, your people's technologies and just tease it out. Um, and so we just have to have that type of discernment um, and let that lead us. Another example that I have of what I mean when I speak on picking the routes that we learn through and how to make sure we keep ourselves in those processes. Like when I say keep ourselves, I mean not let ourselves get too swayed or too changed by something that's not supposed to change us that much um, or at all. I barely ever recommend people to go to male diviners, okay? One of those reasons being is because a lot of male diviners, especially cishet male diviners, um, they could have so much information, so much, but they just don't know how to process, especially like they think they do because they've been blocked off by certain patriarchies, transphobia and trans antagonism, ableism, horphobia, just material and oppressive spirits manifested through anti-blackness that they just have not worked through to the point where they're too blocked to where they can't even see shit. So, you know, it's like the little bit that they can see is not a full picture at all. It's just like a couple lines of a picture or a zigzag through a picture. It's never the full thing. So it's like if I have to send you to somebody like that, a male diviner, and they're like that, 
why would I do that when you could just get the actual message from somebody else? And the whole message, the full message, one that is clear. Why would I send you to someone who might give you some wrong information, misinterpret the information, misinterpret whatever is happening because their lens is so limited? Like, you know, you can't even see her. You can't even see me. You know, you can't even see me. And you're over here trying to read me when you don't even know that your lens isn't even big enough to see me. So why would I be coming to you? Um, You know what I'm saying? So why would you have to put yourself through that where you're going to have to unlearn and try to discern and do all this shit when you're supposed to just be able to show up and get your divination? You should be able to do that. Why do all of that when you could just not? When you could just get all the information all in one from somebody who... They know what they're talking about and their lens is big enough to see you. So it's just so many things like that where, again, it's like, why put yourself through all the mess when you could just be open to what actually serves you in a fuller and more holistic way, especially one that isn't damaging your spirits um, or your line. Let me come back and add here too to my first example of figuring out how to navigate a tradition that holds or resembles your actual people's technologies, but not nearly all of them, those traditions themselves that might be holding your stuff, holding keys or otherwise smothered traditions or technologies of your people, they could literally tell you, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be here. We want you here in this tradition or the deities there being like, oh, we want you to be in these traditions or sure, we don't mind. We can definitely find you a place here. Let's do it. But that still doesn't mean that you are obligated to go through with all of that. Do you know that you have agency and that you can also listen to what your ancestors specifically want from you and learn that without having to work with maybe like a priest or a priestess of this one religion that you're looking at? Did you know that you can get information from your spirits directly? Because the thing is, of course those deities want you. Of course, many of these traditions gonna say they want you so you can benefit their stuff and find a way to work their wills through your destinies. But you know who else wants you? The deities that are actually in alignment with your lineage and the spirits who are actually home to you. Like girl, many of these spirits and also deities could want you. Not not saying that all of them are, you know, gonna want you or all of them, you know, aren't very selective or anything like that. It's no shade. It's just saying that Just because one is like, hey, join our tradition, that doesn't mean that that's actually what's true or necessary. Nor does it mean that it's the best path for you. It's more like a path for you. And that's okay, because sometimes it's just that. Ultimately, you get to pick how you want to learn. And you should do so in a way that is blessed by yourself and blessed by your spirits. Don't do shit you ain't got to do. And especially if it's going to take away, uh, you know, from your responsibility to your particular ancestors, to your particular lineage lineage and um, destiny. You have the right to recover your lineage in peace. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Taylor Omari Little. Tay, if you're seeking to refer to me by a first name basis, thank you for listening to this episode of Tay in the Water podcast. Always let us know if you'd like to hear more, how this made you feel, what you resonated with, what your spirits liked about this experience we gave you today. 
To continue showing support for this podcast, please share with your loved ones and people, bring up the podcast in rooms where people are looking and in need, and keep us in mind when you see some wealthy-ass non-Black people who got the money to drop us the monies so that we can continue living better and producing better. I'll also add that protecting the intellectual property of not only myself, but anyone who steps foot onto this podcast is crucial. We do not exist in a vacuum. We all be interconnected and sharing ideas with one another. But if you steal or do not give credit to us for the words that we speak, the thoughts that we channel, and the art that we produce, you will be seen and you will be hunted down. If it's not by us, it's by our spirits, spirit alliances, or physical world community members, and you can count on that. To tip me and support Unveiled Divine Technologies, the business where all of my services and products come through, my cash app tag is Unveiled Business, my Venmo is Tay Amari, my PayPal is paypal.me slash unveiled business, all of these links are listed online. My Patreon is also currently patreon.com slash Little for ranging select monthly donations and work memberships as well. To book me and become a client, whether it's for divinations, prenatal spiritual security, Amari blankets, court of arts art commissions, or speaking engagements, just head over to taylorimarilittle.com. Kenny, Taylor Amari Little, ahoyi. Ganinke dojina no gana. Heyana heti, langanda heti, kroshinde heti, iritigiya ingasiguindi. Now, show some love, show some peace, and have a black ass rest of your day.